Namaste and good evening to all of you. Although I am presently involved in a workshop of yogic astrology, I wanted to nevertheless continue with the satsangs. Even if I'm going to make a shorter version tonight, I'm going to speak for about one hour, one hour and 15 minutes. But I didn't want to destroy the continuity. Like I know that some of you are not in that workshop and therefore you may want to have some spiritual contact with Agama and with these teachings. And that's why even tonight I'm going to do, to continue the satsang, I'm speaking about the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I am somewhere in the chapter 13 of the Gospel of Luke and simply shows that the law of human life is evolution, that God is expecting from human beings their evolution, the perfection of their soul, the constant self-improvement. Even the people who were interviewed by Dr. Raymond Moody confessed that when they were at their judgment with their guardian angel, they had the sensation that only spiritual enrichment and love are the only values which would matter and which you can take with you in your afterlife. And therefore, that the real important values are those related with the perfection of the soul, with the improvement of the soul, with the rising of the quality of the soul vibration, with the elevation, purification. And Jesus talking about this, he simply says, Realize that at the level of God, there is also a certain plan and utilitarianism. And he gives that example that a man who is God had a fig tree who is you, the human being, planted in the vineyard, which is the planet, the world, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. You look at a human being and you don't find any fruit. That's very meaningful parable. And then he told to the gardener, who is like Shambhala or the angels and the archangels that govern the universe, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Try to imagine, I said last week, what it is if God comes, looks at you and says, this fig tree bears no fruit for too long time, cut it down. What does it mean if God says, cut it down? How, what are the consequences of that? Therefore, the human being must bear fruits in terms of evolution. You are going to say, but Swamiji, maybe not everybody can be a teacher in spirituality or a spiritual practitioner all day long. People are bearing fruits even without being spiritual practitioners or spiritual teachers. You see people saving lives. You see people giving a lot of knowledge. You see people giving a lot of love. You see people making a lot of beautiful self-sacrifice. You see people doing a lot of noble actions of detachment, of wisdom, of definitely you don't need to just be a spiritual practitioner. Evolution is for everyone on the face of this earth and one way or another 
the soul has to learn lessons and the soul has to move forward. If it doesn't learn lessons and if it doesn't move forward for a long time, that's when the sterner things are happening, they are coming, and Jesus is simply warning, don't stop evolution, don't flag, because then, indeed, the purpose of your own life and of your own creation is not met. And he says that the gardener was even bargaining with God. He said, God, give it one more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit, then you can cut it down. No, like there is your soul, your life is being evaluated. And there are things which go against it and there are things which go for it. And there is compassion. There is tolerance. There is forgiveness. There is grace. And even these cannot go on forever because God is not just trying to show off. Like, look how compassionate I am. Look how much grace I can give. That grace has a meaning. It's there for a purpose. And therefore, that grace will have a limit. There is a moment where even the grace becomes absurd and unnecessary. Therefore, Jesus is kind of scary a little bit because he tells the people do not rely all the time that God is reacting in an absurd way full of levity. And there's always going to be mercy and there is mercy 99%. And then when you have reached to the last 5-1%, there the mercy and the grace may stop. So in this way, Jesus seems to be telling us all the time, take it really seriously. Take your lives really seriously. Because the fate of your soul has to be considered very carefully. And then our story continues. On a Sabbath, the famous story with the Sabbath, Jesus has broken this Sabbath regulation so many times. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And the woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. The woman had been crippled by a spirit. What if the woman at the age of five had polio? That's the diagnostic of the 21st century medicine. And the diagnostic of Jesus is that polio is an ugly spirit that cripples people from time to time. Totally different angle to medicine. From the standpoint of traditional Indian Tibetan medicine, viruses like the COVID virus are nothing else but demonic entities that possess people. And therefore, the way of dealing with it has to take into account that aspect. I predict that modern science will not stop the flu viruses ever. Coronaviruses are SARS, MERS, and others, and they are known since tens of years. That's why some virologists say, what's so special about this virus? It's just another coronavirus. No? And, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't even have the rate of 
mortality of other stronger viruses. And basically what I'm trying to say here is humanity has not been able to stop viruses. This is an illusion. People live in some science fiction novel where they say we're going to make vaccines and live in isolation and we'll destroy the viruses. It hasn't happened. And I don't think it will happen because according to the Ayurvedic and Tibetan medicine, we are dealing there with demonic presences. And you cannot stop the demonic entities just by taking an antibiotic or doing things like that. That's why this rabbit hole is much deeper. And here, the woman was crippled and the di Jesus' diagnosis, you know, the, not, it's not Luke who gives the diagnostic, although Saint Luke apparently was a doctor in his time. But he simply communicates what Jesus told them afterwards, you know, like this was the diagnostic. This woman was crippled and Jesus saw her and he said there is a spirit which crippled this woman 18 years ago. How many people today will treat poliomyelitis as being crippled by an evil spirit? But Jesus did. That's why some people, medical doctors and others, they can't believe in Jesus. They say, come on, man, you can't think like that. Yes, you can. If you are Jesus, you can. If you are one of the people of Jesus, you can. This, this is the huge rift between the rationalism of science and Renaissance and the actual mysticism of Jesus, which some people are so much afraid of, so much uh, not being able to control it. When Jesus saw this crippled woman, he called her forward and he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. This is the kind of miracles which was specific to Jesus. Total violations of the laws of reality. These were miracles. This is, we are talking about the supernatural. We are not talking about the fact that Jesus asked this woman to do a Shankaprakshalana bowel cleanse and then he gave her some peppermint tea. This would be alternative healing, naturist healing, whatever. Jesus is not an alternative healer and not a naturist healer. Jesus is bringing into action some forces which are only the latitude of God, such as grace. And with those forces, he simply changes the laws of nature. And therefore, that's why in the case of Jesus, we cannot speak about alternative. Somebody comes to yoga and does yoga for two months and then some crippling aspect in their body disappears. That was not a miracle. That was yogic therapy. And yogic therapy can do some things which look like miracles, but they are not. They are completely explicable through the energies, chakras, endocrine glands, functioning of the body, nerves and all the rest. What Jesus is doing is not explicable through any form of medicine, alternative or not. Because what Jesus is doing is something which is called taumaturgic. Taumaturgic means miraculous. Jesus is a taumaturg, he's a miracle maker, a wonder maker. He's not bothering to pick up peppermint or sweet basil or something and to give to people herbal remedies. If Jesus in his life applied also some naturist remedies, 
we don't really know. There is no 100% evidence either way. And I, if I would hear that Jesus was teaching people to do Shankar Prakshalana or whatever, I would shrug my shoulders and say, sure, why not? Like if you wanted people to be healthy and so on, why not teach them some simple things, some kriyas, some herbal remedies, some powerful miracle food, and some things which you should do. That's of course okay. But Jesus was not limited to this. When you have a woman who has been crippled for 18 years, even if you make like this and you give her some energy, that woman would not be able to straighten up. Try to think about the muscles which have been atrophied. The muscles cannot build up in a fraction of a second in alternative medicine. But with Jesus, they can. Think about the sense of balance. If that woman was crippled and was not walking or barely walking, how would she suddenly get in her brain the neural connections where she could walk properly and move her body properly? Not in alternative medicine. In alternative medicine, at the best, it could take six months. But with Jesus, it takes a fraction of a second because we are talking about something else. We're not talking about alternative medicine. So he says, you are set free from your infirmity. And he puts his hands on her. Therefore, he went an extra level. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. The fact that she straightened up and praised God. This is Jesus' medicine. It's about praising God. You can be healed from everything, from anything. But the question is, will you praise God? It's a karma yoga. I would do anything for you if in the end you would give yourself to God, you would praise God, you would surrender, you would acknowledge the existence of God, you'd become humble, you'd become loving, compassionate, spiritual. That's what's at stake. Jesus wants to touch their soul. If the body is sick or not sick, that matters less. Here is a story from one of the apocryphal Gospels. I think it's called the Gospel of Peter or one of them. I don't know. It's from the Nag Hammadi Library. And there is there a Gospel where it says that Peter was going around on his mission before he expired, killed by the Roman Empire. So he was during the years of his mission. One story from that period of time. After Jesus, now he was one of the 12 apostles. And somebody sees that together with him in his party, in his tent where he was there, there is his daughter. And that his daughter is a cripple. The daughter of Peter looked like a cripple. And he says, man, you are going around healing people, doing super miracles, doing miracles almost like Jesus. And in your own tent, it's your own daughter, and she's a cripple. And it means there are a lot of limitations to your power. It means you can't do really whatever you want. It's like, what is the story here? Why can't you do it to your own daughter? And then Peter mentions this gospel. Peter turns to his daughter, and she says, for the power of Jesus Christ, stand up and be normal. And his daughter stands up and behaves, looks like a normal young woman. And then Peter explains, she was attacked by a man who wanted to rape her, and she prayed to God, and she said, 
you know, make me a cripple, do something to stop this, to make this man not be attracted, turned on by me. And then God instantaneously made her into a cripple. And that man didn't touch her when he saw that she was crippled and so on. He got disgusted and he went away. And then he said, that is the price. He prayed to God and God kept her like this. And he says, it's not true because look, I can pray to Jesus and she becomes normal in a second. But that's her karma. That's what God wanted to show through her. That's her relationship with God. And that's what her soul has to show to the world. And then he looked at her and he said, daughter, for the love of Jesus Christ, go back to the condition where you've been a minute before. And then she re-became a cripple and she stayed there. Like he said, there is no limit to the power of God, but some things just have to be in a certain way. It's not that you always do what you want and how you want the things. <laughs> so Jesus was doing this so that the woman praises God and other people see it and they also praise God. It was a goodwill action. <coughs> and now, of course, it changes to the most stupid thing that you can hear. This episode is moving. It's miraculous. It tells us things about karma yoga, motivations of Jesus, whatever he does there, and then what follows. Oh, boy. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. But this was not work. This is not work because Jesus was not a medical doctor who was providing consultations on Saturdays. It's such a misunderstanding. It's such a stupidity. Like that guy, this conditioning of the Jewish culture with the Sabbath and with all these things really made in those days, as it does today sometimes, it really made people like brainwashed. Like they were in the presence of Jesus. Incredible miracles were happening. And these people were nagging constantly that it was Sabbath. But what Jesus did was prayer to God. This is where that miracle had come from. So it was exactly what should be done on the Sabbath day. What are you talking about? It's not social work. It was divine thing. Like the service in the synagogue. The rabbis were making some religious service. What Jesus did was religious service of the first class, of the highest category. They have never seen anything like this. But these people, then you say, well, how could they be so misguided? They could be so misguided because ultimately their ego felt offended. They envied Jesus. They were afraid that this guy will take their livelihood, their bread and butter that this man will be charismatic and take the power and everybody will listen to him and they will not have any word to say. There were hidden reasons in their soul for which they, you know, they were looking for any flaw, any flaw. Instead of saying, brothers and sisters, you came here Saturday to this synagogue on the Sabbath day to see me, the leader of the synagogue, doing some stupid prayers, 
some monotonous prayers. And instead of this, you have seen our brother Jesus bringing God directly. No, bringing God 110% in front of your eyes, showing you that God is with us, that God is here, that God is alive. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do, they couldn't make themselves do that. And that's why they search for things. And he said, uh, if you have more healings to do, please not on the Sabbath day. Like, why not? Why not call on God on the Sabbath? Because Jesus was not giving peppermint to people. It was not a medical job that he was doing. Jesus was calling upon the presence of God. Which better day is to do that than the Sabbath day? No, but these people had never seen anything like this and anybody like Jesus. And therefore, they are sticking to some absolutely stubborn and idiotic rules. The Lord answered him. No, like for Jesus, they can see through this like this. And he says, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? I'm sorry, there's a, a poor photocopy quality. No, like if it's Sabbath, it means the animals are not drinking water especially in the desert climate of Israel, you know, where they would die if you leave them 24 hours without water. You know, like he says, it's a hypocrisy, but because some things you simply cannot avoid and you would not let your donkey or your ox die, then suddenly you made allowance for it. You made rules to favor all sorts of exceptions, which are not exceptions. No, but it's a hypocrisy. This is a hypocrisy. And now that I'm coming with something which is not mentioned in the books and you haven't seen before, you're not ready to include it. To say, on Sabbath, we can give water to the ox and to the donkey and Jesus can call upon God to heal people. It's one of the exceptions. But no, that would have meant automatically to accept that Jesus was doing the work of God. And this acceptance was what really what they were afraid of. Because that would have given all the power in the hands of Jesus. So they would not, they would prefer to avoid in any possible way. So Jesus naturally calls such a man a hypocrite. He says, You are a hypocrite. It's not it's not fair. And he says, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it? how to give it water, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Like what better thing to happen on the Sabbath day than somebody receiving the grace of God? Was this some pro? Like was Jesus manufacturing shoes or sandals for her? Was Jesus doing some job for her? This was not a job. But then the leader of the synagogue should have accepted and proclaimed publicly, look, this of Jesus doesn't matter. It's not a breaking of the rules because this is a prayer to God. But these people had started already with the idea that Jesus was wrong and that he was not who he said he was. And therefore that he was, they were preparing for later to say this man does things with the devil. 
he does things with the demons. That's what was at stake, that they kept on idiotically opposing to these things with the Sabbath, you know, which apparently looks like they were so narrow-minded, they were so fanatical. It was not only fanaticism, there was the hypocrisy. There was the fact that they did not want to give this accolade to Jesus. You are allowed to do things on the Sabbath day because you are with God and God was with you. And actually, we would like to come every Sabbath here to the synagogue and see you doing things in the name of God. That would strengthen our faith in our own religion. That would strengthen our faith in the fact that God is with us and is here and is alive. Now, that was not at stake. What was at stake was the envy towards Jesus and the fear which they had from Jesus. When he said this, which is logic, you know, like you cannot beat Jesus on his clean understanding of things. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Vox Populi, Vox Dei. Even so, the Vox Populi, the voice of the people, was not in his favor, but at least it shows that paradoxically, people who had some theological education, they were looking for conflict. And the people who are simple people and they had nothing to lose, some of them understood Jesus, some of them felt Jesus, some of them didn't see any problem and they were happy. And it says here that people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Of course, we are delighted 2,000 years later when we read these things, we say, man, imagine to have that man again. But if you'd have that man again in the same conditions of here, they would crucify him again. No, the things would be just the same. So uh, this story is again very meaningful from the standpoint of this true intentions of people, humility and all the rest. Then Jesus asked, because you know it's, he sees constantly that people are possessed by their own ego and agenda and that they would not understand pretend that they don't understand because they are hypocrites or really not understand and then jesus is always pushing the teachings he is teaching more and more and more and he hopes a number of people will see the light and indeed that was the truth in history some of his followers some of his disciples did see the light there were a part of people who were for Jesus, with Jesus, and then there were a part of people who hated him, disliked him, and feared him. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? So he is trying to express the inexpressible. Milarepa wrote 100,000 verses about the state of superconsciousness or of nirvana, which he had reached. Yogananda, Shivananda, so many others, they spoke about it from Abhinavagupta to Sankaracharya and from Patanjali to you name it, to Ramakrishna. Everybody tried to speak about this and nobody managed to give a mathematical, rational, engineering, clear image. What is cosmic consciousness? What is infinite consciousness? Even Jesus, who is so articulate and who definitely has the full clarity of what he is where he is coming from, 
and what reality is like, he doesn't have words for it. That's the conclusion which we know already in yoga, that you can speak about the state of samadhi and the state of cosmic consciousness only in parables and metaphors and obliquely. You can never really describe because the words will limit the meanings and when you say one thing, you will automatically deny another thing and when you will imply something, you will also imply something else and that's not how it is. That's not how the reality is. That's why Ramakrishna, as much as he tried, he never managed to describe his ultimate states of samadhi in Ajna and especially in Sahasrara. So he says, he gives one of the famous parables. It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man planted and then a mustard. The mustard seed is very small. It's tiny like a millet grain. And uh, apparently the mustard tree is a very large tree which gives shadow and you can put almost your house in the shadow of that tree. You know, human beings can be there. So it's a real useful tree in this way. How do we understand the kingdom of... Because he doesn't describe how it feels. He doesn't describe in what chakra it goes. He doesn't describe what qualities it will give that. It gives omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and whatever. You know, philosophical and mystical and metaphysical and theological things. He just makes some real strange... When you read the various parables, there is the one where it says, kingdom of heaven is like the man who... Uh, fished a pearl and dropped everything out of the net and kept that pearl. There are so many parables that he's trying constantly to explain the inexplicable to people. And these parables, some of them are super inspired and super inspiring. And some of them are odd. Perhaps our intelligence and our insight is not great enough to understand the genius which exists in that parable. And this is one of the, it's mentioned, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You remember that he used the mustard seed for another example, which shows where he is coming from. He says, if you will have faith as much as a mustard seed, which means really little, you can tell to that mountain to move, and that mountain will move. So he speaks about the mind, the faith, something in Ajna Chakra, that even there we don't believe, we don't have clear faith, and because of this our mind cannot address the cosmic consciousness, and is, we are faithless, and because of this, you know, other people can say to a paralyzed woman, in the name of Jesus, stand up. But I don't believe that I can speak in the name of Jesus. And therefore, I'm a hypocrite. I'm saying the words, but the words are not accompanied by the faith. Then I say, but it doesn't happen. And then people say, see, Jesus is not healing always. Jesus does heal always. But the problem is that if I have faith, I, as much as a mustard seed, 
and Jesus made Peter walk on water. And then when he took the help from him, Peter started doubting if he can really walk on water and fell into the water and almost drowned. And Jesus told him the famous words, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Like two seconds ago, you were walking on water and everything was going fine. And then suddenly you had to doubt. And then René Descartes comes and qualifies this doubt as a great quality. It's not a quality. This is the shit which made Peter fall into the water and almost drown. Doubt is not a quality. Doubt is a terrible poison of the mind. Jesus doesn't seem to have any doubt. And he, with the people around, he makes it in such a way that people get out of their doubt. So here, Jesus is talking about that you have a mustard seed, which is the faith. And that this faith is planted and it grew and became a tree. So it's a faith which is not enough just for you. It's a faith as for many people, as for the world. This is what the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God like Shambhala or other things comparable to the high spiritual realities, they are places where people have pulled their faith together. And for them, it's a world. It's a collective thing. It's a reality. It's a brave new world. In Shambhala, people are not suffering from coronavirus or from some other issues like this because they live in another frequency. They are completely liberated from certain doubts and impurities which exist on planet Earth. All these viruses and diseases and catastrophes and this, these are the result of our own lack of faith, of our own twisted faith, of our own negative faith. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of the Transcendental Meditation, have said it clearly. Because people have frustrations and negativity, they produce earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, storms, epidemics, wars, and other things which kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them. It's just a con, but these things do not exist in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, it's like the mustard seed, which is the thing about faith, the good faith, the positive faith, which a man took and planted in his garden. That means it's your house, your body. You know, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air perched in its branches. Like once the faith becomes big and you live in a community like this, miracles are happening. That's why I keep telling people, you read what Miss Alexandra David Neal and other explorers and travelers have seen in Tibet in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. Amazing. Yogis levitating, miracles, state oracles, magic, magic and mystery in Tibet, the title of the book of Miss Alexander David Neal. That could not have existed in 2020 because it would have constituted a huge contrast with the way the world is just around Tibet. And that's why Tibet, for, from an energetical standpoint, from a faith standpoint, it had to be brought down to the level of the normal world. You go to Tibet now, you find industry, 
agriculture, money, business, lies, this, that, people having become heavily materialistic, and all that stuff. There is no more magic and mystery, or very, 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 very little left, and you won't find it easily. You won't see it easily. That's why, the wall of silence. And that's why he says, here there is a faith, a mustard seed planted, which is so great it became a tree, and the birds of the air found shelter in its branches. Like you can build a new Tibet, you can build a new Shambhala, you can build a brave new world. It is supposed by the people who analyze prophecies in the Bible and others that this is how the golden age will come. That the golden age will start with a human community somewhere on earth where miracles and faith will start happening in a very healthy way again. People will say, we, we, we in the Pentecostal church, in the Adventist church, we, you, know, you know, there are so many sects and bizarre cults which claim that they are uh, walking on fire and uh, handling poisonous snakes or whatever. Most of it, most of it is just ridiculous hoax or collective hysteria. We are talking here about the real deal, the real deal. Yeah? that the kingdom of God can come on earth exactly as if faith like a mustard seed is planted and cultivated because you have to put water no, and you have to help it then it becomes a tree that can change the world the birds will go in the shadow of that tree and that tree 20 years ago was not there you have created Sri Aurobindo tried to create the city of God on earth. Partly he and Mira Alfasa managed something, but it did not reach to the level which was announced by Sri Aurobindo. Therefore, either his faith and the faith of other people who followed was not big enough, or maybe this is going to happen in the years that will come, and we are all looking with hope, with expectation to see, to taste the shadow of that mustard seed. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Again, he's trying constantly to inspire people because he realizes that people don't understand what it is. At least in India, at least Buddha and others, when they spoke about Nirvana, when they spoke about Moksha, when they spoke about Shambhala, they tried to give some utilitarian landmarks. Like if you would be in Shambhala, there would be no viruses and bacteria and epidemics. If you would be in Nirvana, there would be no more ignorance and pain and this and that. If you would be in Moksha, there will be no need to reincarnate compulsorily in new and new bodies and undergo the miseries of samsara on this planet. Like they tried to give some things to make you say, aha, so I want to go to Shambhala. I want to go to Nirvana. I want to reach Moksha because it sounds like an advantageous state. But all those are attempts to present a facet of something which otherwise is indescribable. It's bigger than that. It means much more than that. 
It's not just a utilitarian thing that I don't feel good on the planet Earth and I want to go to uh, Satya Loka and be, live there as an enlightened being. It's not a business. It's not a business benefit that those who are smart, they buy themselves Bitcoin and then soon they will be rich. This is just like you make trade with God. No? There is something else. Yeah. So it's exactly here. He says he wants to inspire people so that they would see various angles to it. And he says the kingdom of God is like yeast that the woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until, until it worked all through the dough. What does yeast do with the dough? It just makes it grow so it can become proper bread. So without the yeast, the bread will be boring or impossible. Without the kingdom of God, this world would be a tragedy. Jean-Paul Sartre thinks that the world is a misery. And he says life is so meaningless that you should commit all suicide. That's the conclusion of a person who does not understand the kingdom of God. Everything is hopeless. Everything is miserable. Everything has no end. It goes nowhere. But Jesus says, in the dough, there is the east. There is the secret ingredient, which is the presence of God, the presence of the cosmic consciousness in this whole game. And then the game becomes the bread of life. It's not something boring and meaningless. He's trying to show that the kingdom of God participates. It's here now in our lives. We, are part, we have an immortal soul. And our immortal soul, Atman, is part of that reality already. We. I wouldn't look for you, says somebody to God, if I wouldn't have found you already. Because we have an immortal soul, we know to search for immortality. Because it is there already. So, this comparison with East is very down to earth. But still, it tells us something very profound. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is on the way to the final stages of his mission when he goes to Jerusalem for the famous Passover. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Because, no, that's what it sounds like. That some people will reach salvation and some people will go to hell. Especially the dualistic theologies, like the ones from Judaism and Christianity and many others. They say clearly that some people are loved by God and they become saints and they reach salvation. And other people don't. So somebody is asking him exactly this straightforward question. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And he continues, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, that means it's the end of Kali Yuga, we draw the line and that's it, it's the deadline, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. 
or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. That's him. Well, he identifies with God. But he will reply, he himself, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all your evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of the teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are lost who will be first and first will be lost. In the end, Jesus here makes an allusion to the fact that the Jewish people are no longer going to be the chosen ones. Until then, the Jewish people lived with this complex of superiority because they had the only monotheistic religion in that part of the world, maybe on the whole planet even. And because of this, they thought that they are special. And this was to their advantage. It was a pedagogic thing which was done specially to keep them apart. Like if you've got something special, which is very valuable, you should not treat it like shit. If you got the knowledge about Buddha, about Jesus, about this, about that, you are privileged. Don't think it's nothing. Say thank you all day long that you have been allowed to see, hear, and understand these things. Because it sets you aside. And then it says, you are the chosen ones. Not based on an ethnic thing, like all the Jewish people are the chosen ones. No. But based on a certain spiritual status. And he warns them. And he says, since obviously I have been around here for three years. And many of you are just pulling my leg and treating me like shit. And I'm coming to give you the message from God. God told me, go to my people and tell them the time has come and teach them what to do. And I'm coming and teaching and showing. And you are telling me you are a demon. You are working with the demons. And I try again. And after three years, I start getting a bit desperate. You know, it's like, what the heck is happening? Like, you know, and then why see what will happen? There will come people from east and west and north and south, and they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Like the people who are going to Shambhala and to the kingdom of God are not going to be only Jewish. They have been Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets. Those are there already. They have made it. So there will be some Jewish people from the older generations. And there were some Jewish people from the newer generation, like Peter, Paul, John, Thomas, all those. They made it. But many others, Caiaphas and all the rabbis and all these people, they saw Jesus, they disbelieved, and they didn't get anything out of it. And then the door slammed in their face. What Jesus is telling here is this. There are some deadlines. You cannot postpone forever. People will say, but Swamiji, isn't the soul immortal? Yes. And I told you in a previous satsang what the meaning of that is. If you do not find the kingdom of God now, then you will have to wait until the next yuga 
is coming again. So people say, am I not going to die absolutely like disappear, go to hell forever and never be seen again? No. There is nothing eternal except God. That's why damnation cannot be eternal. Somebody who has fallen cannot fall from ever, forever because that someone is from the same substance, so to speak, from the same essence as God. And the divine essence is immortal and it cannot perish. So even if you have the most terrible karma in the world, it will take a thousand years, ten thousand years, hundred thousand years, and then that karma will be finished. So if you missed the train, this train, Jesus is coming with a train with a, with a polar express, which takes you to uh, Nirvana. Hey, if you don't catch the Polar Express this year, you'll catch it next year. Next year can mean in 25,000 years from now. And until then, you're just going to spin in circles. Reincarnate in mediocre conditions. There will be no big offer. There will be no big circumstances, big, you know, like that, like opportunities. Like, wow, you know, I met with Buddha and suddenly I did a lot of vipassana meditation no there's going to be nothing and then from the standpoint of your soul that's terrible because you are like a rat in a labyrinth that cannot find its way out of the labyrinth and jesus says that it's now i am the exit from the labyrinth come to me come follow me i look i give you credentials that woman was raised from her crippled bed i am the real thing what should I do? I walked on water. I raised the dead. I healed the lepers and the cripple. Like, what more should I do? Tell me and I will do it, you know, if that can convince you. But they were not willing. They were always criticizing him and putting him down. Like, you shouldn't do it on the Sabbath day. You know, like, that was what mattered at that point. At that point, the issue was much, much bigger than if a man kept the Sabbath day or not. And that's why Jesus being constantly confronted with this hypocrisy, he starts telling to people, you know, it's like, it's, it's going to be a problem because he says, are only a few people going to be saved? And implicitly Jesus says, now, now, at this deadline, until, I don't know, December, yes, only a limited number are going to be saved. Aren't all of them going having an immortal soul? Yes, they do. So are they not going to be saved? Not this year. Maybe in the next cosmic year, which means a lot of time. No? And therefore, Jesus does not really say that they will be doomed forever. He doesn't insist. He says there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. It's a bummer. It's a terrible bummer. Imagine all the people who were left out after Jesus gave them this offer. Then they looked and they said, fucking Thomas. Thomas, man, who was a servant. A fucking guy called Thomas. And look, he's drinking with the king of the world in Shambhala. They're drinking ambrosia together. And I, 
who was a rich person, meaningful politician, powerful, this, that, smart, or a priest or something, I'm out. I'm like a dog in the outer darkness. I'm, I'm squealing for a bone, that they should throw me a bone from their party. This is what he's talking about. He's not saying that only some people are going to be saved forever and ever. That's what Christian theology has twisted it, because they don't like the idea of reincarnation, and they don't deal very well with the idea of karma. And because of this, they try to find, they try to scare people, to put psychological pressure on people, like it's now or never. No, it's not that it's never. If you miss this train, there will be other trains. But in actual fact, the difference between this train and the next train, it's a lot of time, a lot of pain, a lot of ignorance, a lot of waiting, a lot of frustration. Therefore, it's not worth it. It would be like somebody says, I can't finish the university this year, too much to study, too many exams next year. But to get to the university, to finish one more year of university, I have to pay house rent. I have to pay food. I have to borrow money from the government or something so that I can sustain myself in the university one more year. And then when I come to the payday, it's going to be much worse. That's why students who are responsible, they try to finish the university in the minimum time possible because there is no reason to extend it. You know, it's more pain. It's just more suffering to extend it. And thus, Jesus is not really saying are only a few people are going to be saved. Jesus doesn't answer yes or no. He's like a politician. We don't know in reality if the, if the dialogue was... Uh, jotted down to the last word. Maybe Jesus said a yes or no or something or this. No, but here it's what survived after 2,000 years in a text. And he didn't say yes or no. He said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. He calls the road to enlightenment the narrow door. Buddha has called it an uphill road. So Buddha says there's an uphill road which is difficult and a downhill road which means decadence and you don't go to the kingdom of heaven and Jesus calls it the narrow road or door and the wide path. There is a wide path which is easy and everybody who takes it loses, will never catch that train and there is a narrow path it's a narrow path because it says stop being violent stop telling lies stop, I don't know eating meat Stop doing this. Stop doing that. It's a narrow path because it doesn't allow you to be a baboon. It doesn't allow you to be a chimpanzee. You have to come out of your animal primitive nature and you have to simply say, okay, for the love of God, I will do this. I will do that. You know, whatever price I have to pay, I will pay because I want to see God. I want to go to the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, he says, make every effort. There is an effort. Jesus doesn't deny it. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, the difficult one, the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. This is how many people come to yoga, how many people finish 
the higher levels of yoga. We know it in a school. It's like a pyramid. A thousand people or 10,000 people start every year, and then to the highest levels, you have maximum 10. 10 out of a thousand. That's one percent. It's a pyramid. It's a natural selection. And therefore, Jesus says, yeah, yeah, many think. The scribes, the Phariseans, the other sects of Judaism, they all of them think that they are right. And if you ask them, do you think you will uh, catch the train? They will say, yes, I am Kadosh, I am holy, I live by the laws of Moses. I think God is going to be generous to me and give me this. And then they deny Jesus. And then when the day of judgment comes, they discover like, oops, I fucked up. And then they might see, I fucked up 25,000 years ago again. Not even the first time when I fuck up. It's like somebody who tries to pass an exam and dumps that exam, fails that exam three times, five times, 35 times in a row. And then finally the 36th time, okay, they pass, they make it. Many people are in this, they have been through this carousel many times. It's not the first time that you lose the train. You don't live on face of the earth 25,000 years, have, uh, I don't know, 100 lives, and in 100 lives you solved everything and you reach nirvana. No. Buddha says you live maybe 5,000 lives. Okay, 5,000 lives is much more than 25,000 years. It's millions of years of human history, of human evolution. And therefore, the Kali Yuga may have come back and the Satya Yuga and whatever deadlines, they may have come back every 25,000 years. But you have caught that deadline many times, and most of the times you said, I don't even go to that exam because I'm totally unprepared for it. I won't even show my face to that exam. That's why in every soul there is a lot of frustration having tried many times to go to the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is talking to those who are prepared. He says, if you feel that you want this, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And then he says, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, he will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. Like people think that if God is loving and if God is compassionate, you can violate the cosmic laws. Think how many people died in an airplane crashing in the ocean and praying to God. Think how many people died in earthquakes and tsunamis praying to God. Think how many people have died killed in wars and epidemics and so on while playing, praying to God. Does it mean that God does not exist? No. It means that their prayer should not be answered, cannot and should not be answered because it is at the wrong time and it is the consequence of previous other mistakes. You have failed to go with Jesus. And then finally, when you see that the train is leaving, you start knocking at the door and say, Sir, uh, open the door for us. But there are some cosmic laws. There are some cosmic rules. The law of gravitation functions for Jesus. The devil told him, jump off the wing of the temple so that the angels will catch you on their wings and save your life. Like even Jesus, if he jumps from a tall building, he falls. Ah, that he might have the city of levitation or something. He might be some Jedi of sorts or something. That's a totally different story. Don't mix things up. 
The thing is that in life for the normal soul, even when that soul is seeking for freedom and light, if they have paranormal abilities or not, it's not important. And because it doesn't matter in this circumstance. The point is that there are some rules. Like you go to Harvard University and after three months they started the semester and then you say, please, 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 can you get me in? In most of the serious universities of this world, they will not take a second to answer. They will say, come next September. It's as simple as that. You know, it's like there is, no, nobody will make an exception for you in a serious environment, you know, and God is very serious about this. No, there is no, this is not just some sort of haggling. Ah, if you didn't do it today, maybe you do it tomorrow. If you didn't do it tomorrow. Jesus is telling there are a lot of compassionate and beautiful things, but there are also some laws of nature, such as Kali Yuga comes once every 25,000 years. Satya Yuga comes once every 25,000 years. Some deadlines are happening once in a while. And if you pass that deadline, it's okay. And if you don't pass that deadline, from the standpoint of God, it's not a tragedy. Because you are not disappearing. These people who are left at the door, and he says, sir, open the door. And God simply says, the train has gone. Sorry, next train. He says, I don't know you or where you come from. Not forever, until the next door will be open again. This he doesn't say, but that's the metaphysical truth. It's not forever, but it's for such a long time that it can seem like forever. And therefore, no, the divine consciousness says, ah, come on, yeah, it's not Satya Yuga, but I will make a little bit of Satya Yuga for you right now. No. There isn't. We are running a yoga school. There come 50 people every month who tell us how we should run the yoga school. If we listen to them, we go crazy. We have to change everything every three days because somebody has got a new idea. It's not. We found the best ways of doing things and we do it. And it's our way or the highway. Ah, this doesn't mean that we are close to see that if ever there appears a brilliant thing, like right now, this coronavirus crisis, it has stimulated us to go online, to be online there for you. Hey, it's not comfortable. We don't know yet how to do it perfectly. There are a lot of things to be improved and to learn. I myself feel in a different way when I'm speaking to people that I don't even see physically in front of my eyes, although I know that you are out there watching this satsang, and therefore, I and Agama Yoga, we are learning something new. We are probably, it doesn't mean we are not open to progress, or we are not open to some change or to some additional accomplishment. So the divine consciousness is open, but still there are some things which cannot be done. We cannot start a first level intensive course every three hours for the next 15 years every three hours there is a next level one starting intensive maybe in the digital format maybe it will even be possible to do that but the way the school is now we cannot 
there are some limits. So if you don't come at the right date, you don't get it. And this is the same. Jesus is telling you, he's calling your attention. It's the same with God. God, although he is infinite consciousness, he has made this universe with some rules of the game. The clock is ticking. The law of gravitation is working. This and that. And God is not willing to change those rules just because you are lazy or you are late. And then you knock on the door and say, but sir, sir, uh, we, we, can we also? No. Then people are saying, what a bastard. So cruel. No mercy. No compassion. Always people, when they talk with Jesus or when they talk with great yogis, they say, yeah, but that man had no compassion. He could have bent a little bit. No. They bend as much as they can, as much as they possibly can, and then there is a limit beyond which there is no bending. In the relationship with God, things cannot be bent forever. God has created a universe which has some laws and rules. And God is changing those laws and rules often for you out of love, support, and compassion. But when it goes beyond a certain limit, then there can be no change. The cosmic consciousness will refuse absolutely to go beyond a certain limit. Jesus was asked in the last day, if you have done so many miracles, do a couple more now. And Jesus basically said, no, I have to be crucified. Therefore, I have to make you angry and pissed off. And therefore, I cannot make an extra miracle. God is not allowing me to do it. I have done miracles for three years and several months. And today, it's not happening. That, that train has left. That train will not go again. You won't see it. People say, man, if he did just one little miracle, just push a little bit and do a little miracle, maybe those people would have been convinced. That was precisely the point, that God was playing a game, and when that game reached to its limit, there is no way to bend that limit. Until then, it bends a lot. We already live in this world with a lot of forgiveness, with a lot of grace, with a lot of compassion. A lot of good things are given to us, and most of the time we are not grateful for those things. But Jesus is telling, don't rely on the fact that that will go forever. Because it will not go forever. There is a limit. And that limit is here. Because he will say, and people will even try to cheat, you know, Jewish bargaining. But we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets, you know, like people say, hey, we've been friends. Yeah. Still, in the detachment of God, God is so detached that that will not matter. You are trying to bargain. You are trying to blackmail God by some attachment things and you will not find any response there. And he says... There will be weeping there, gnashing of the teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. And more, people will come from east and west and north and south, there will be non-Jews, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last, who will be first, 
and first who will be last. Like the Jews considered themselves to be first citizens. Many still do. And in the end, Jesus is telling them in the world of the humbleness and love of Anahata, you are just going to have a very, very big surprise. A very big surprise. And thus, you also should meditate. If you think you are first, if you think you are last, how do you catch that train so that the door doesn't slam in your face? There will always be some who will see that door slammed in their faces. I think it is enough for tonight. I think we already commented a couple of beautiful stories which teach us great things. And I will continue from here where he talks about the narrow door and how to catch the last train, how to reach the kingdom of heaven. Enough for tonight. Thank you all for joining. I will try, if possible, to do this satsang in a short format like this, even next week, to keep a connection with you and to keep some of this spiritual inspiration coming for everyone. And enough for tonight.